We're going to study our last uh, study out of the book of Exodus tonight. So if you have your Bible handy, you want to open it and find Exodus chapter 40. We're going to look at the last several verses of Exodus chapter 40 and then look at uh, some other passages throughout the Bible. It's kind of an overview tonight of uh, the glory. I've entitled our Bible study, Filled with the Glory. So we're going to look at what that means uh, back, what that meant back in the day of Moses and some other times and even up to today. So are you ready to study? All right. Well, let's look at Exodus chapter 40, starting to read at verse 34, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day, and fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Bow with me now for prayer. Father, thank you for your word. It's alive and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And we're grateful tonight for the privilege of being here to hear these children sing. We're grateful, Lord, that they're praising you and learning how to do that through song and worship and music. And Lord, uh, we pray also a prayer of thanksgiving just for the season of year that it is. Uh, We are grateful that you brought us to another year of thanksgiving. And we thank you for your faithfulness and love and mercy and your provision, super abundant provision that you've given to your children. And Lord, thank you for your word. And we ask you now to speak your word to each one of our hearts. We pray your Holy Spirit will be our teacher and that, uh, Lord, you would uh, illumine our hearts uh, and uh, help us, Lord, to know how to live for you and how to serve you with all of our hearts. And we commit this time to you. We pray you'll bless the preaching and teaching and anoint the teaching of your word tonight in Jesus' sweet name. Amen. All right, so what's happened since we left off last Wednesday night is this. The, uh, God had given Moses the pattern for the tabernacle and also for the robes, the robe for the high priest. And they had taken up the offering for it. They had gotten all the supplies they needed. And then God gave Moses some other things to do. And now it's time for them to actually build the tabernacle and put together the high priest garments. And that's what happens starting at chapter 35 of Exodus, going all the way to the end, almost to the very end of the book of Exodus. And so uh, we're not going to read all of that, uh, but uh, just know that's what is in there. It's the story of how all of that came together and how they actually put the tabernacle together, including the tent itself, the furniture on the inside and on the outside, and then the screen that was up around it and so on. So when we get now to the end of chapter 40, the end of the book of Exodus, let me give you point number one. We're talking about filled with the glory. We're going to go all the way through the Bible in four different places and look at how filled with the glory applies in these four different areas, including this one. First of all, the tabernacle 
was filled with the glory. What is the glory? It is the glory of God. This is uh, the Shekinah glory of God. Uh, this, uh, it's the manifested presence of God. He appeared to the children of Israel as a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. And we get to this uh, point in the book of Exodus and we see that the tabernacle, after it was constructed, was also filled with the glory of God, even as the tent of meeting that Moses had uh, constructed outside the gates, outside the camp. We looked at that last week, and that's where God met Moses outside the camp before the final building of this tabernacle, which was inside the camp in the middle of the people. That's where God wanted to be. He said back in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 8, I want to be among my people. And so now they finally are finishing the tabernacle and God, he is filling that tabernacle with his presence and therefore he is among his people where he uh, told them that he wanted to be. But I want you to look up a little bit earlier in chapter 40 and find with me verse 29 and, and I want you to follow along as I read this verse. And he put the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered upon it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now what's going on there? God had commanded Moses back in chapter 29 of uh, Exodus that they were to have a, an offering, a burnt offering twice a day, every day. Nine o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the afternoon were the time of the offerings. This was a burnt offering, which meant that the animal, the bull or the lamb or the goat, whatever it was, was to be offered and it was to be totally burned up. There were other kind of offerings that were given where part of the offering or part of the sacrifice was reserved uh, to feed the priests and their families, but not the burnt offering. The whole burnt offering was a picture of a total commitment to God, and that's what he wanted of his people. He wanted them to see and know about this total commitment that he wanted from them. And so this burnt offering was burning in the morning at 9 o'clock and in the afternoon at 3 o'clock, and it was uh, added to by the grain offering, which com was comprised of flour and oil and wine that was poured onto this offering. So this was, this was the blood that was the sacrificial offering that was required for God's presence to show up. God uh, required the shedding of blood, that is the offering of an innocent animal, in order for him to recognize the covering of sin that his people needed for him to show up. And it says here, the, the cloud, verse 34, covered the tabernacle of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle to the point that Moses was not even able to go into the tabernacle. Now think about that. They spent all this time, and they are one year out of Egypt, by the way, exactly one year out of Egypt, and now they are finishing the construction of the tabernacle, and the glory of God comes into that tabernacle. Everybody else had already left, all the people who'd put it together with Moses, they had already left. Now the glory of God descends, to the point that Moses cannot even enter the tabernacle because of the greatness of the fullness of the glory of God. 
and the cloud rested above it. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And so he filled it in order to register his presence there with the people, but he also would move from time to time. And the way that they knew when it was time to leave one place and go to another was that the glory of God would ascend up from the tent and that would be the signal that they need to pack up and get ready to move because they're going somewhere. God would lead them and he led them uh, originally up to the brink of the promised land until they got to this place called Kadesh Barnea. You remember the story, the spies went in and they looked at the land and 10 of them gave a bad report about the land. So because of that, because of the people's unbelief, they were in the wilderness for 40 years till all of that, most all of that generation died off so that uh, when, after Moses died, Joshua would lead the people into the promised land. But this is a picture of God's presence with his people. It's a picture of God's presence leading his people. And it is a pattern and picture of what God wants every Christian to understand and experience. That is, that God is with us, he will fill us, and he will lead us. That is what he wants us to do, and that is what he wants us to believe. And so this is the filling of the tabernacle by the glory of God. So that's point number one. Point number two, we're going to have to go to 1 Kings chapter 8. And so go ahead and turn over there. And we're going to read some verses here. 1 Kings chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 10 and 11, and also verse 25. So let's look at these verses. Now, this is about 400 years later. Now, keep that in mind. There was about 400 years that the children of Israel spent in Egypt. Now, there's going to be 400 years that they spend worshiping God as he appears here in the tabernacle. But now that 400 years has passed, Israel has a king. The first king of Israel was Saul of the tribe of Benjamin. He didn't do too good, so he was removed from being a king, although he lived out his life and was eventually killed by the Philistines. But David was anointed king even while Saul was still king, but David patiently waited until God dealt with Saul the way God wanted to deal with him. David became king, and he reigned for 40 years. Then he died, and then his son Solomon is now on the throne in Jerusalem. David had wanted to build a temple for God, but God said, no, David, you have been a man of war. You have shed too much blood. I'm not going to let you build the temple, but I will let your son Solomon build the temple. So David said, well, that's, that's great. I'm glad Solomon will get to build the temple. So let me just get all the material ready. So David spent the uh, several years of his life getting all the material ready so that when Solomon was, uh, was the king and ready to build, all the materials would be ready. Now the temple has been built on the same pattern as the tabernacle, just much larger and a permanent structure in the city of Jerusalem. The original tabernacle was a tent. The people took the tent with them wherever they went as God led them. However, once they got settled in the land, this is after Joshua has led the people into the land. They've divided up the land by tribes and they've gotten a king now and the, the uh, temple has been built and I want you to see, though, what happened when this temple is ready to be used after it has been built. Notice here at the first Kings chapter eight, starting at verse 10, it came to pass when the priests came out of the holy place, 
that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So do you see what's happening here? Just like the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, he is now filling the temple. That uh, transitory tent that was moved all over the place has been replaced now by this permanent structure, uh, this uh, temple, this beautiful building, and, but still the same thing happens. The glory of God fills the temple of God when Solomon is king. Now Solomon, from that point in the chapter 8, prays a long prayer. It's most of chapter 8 where he is praying a long and wonderful, beautiful prayer. It's a, it's a prayer that ought to be studied and learned. But I want you to see as part of his prayer, look down at what he uh, says in verse 27 of this same chapter. Well, I'll tell you what, let me back up to verse 25 so we get the flow. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep your promise, keep what you promised, your servant David, my father, saying, you shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel, only if your sons take heed to their way that they walk before me as you have walked before me. And now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant, David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I have built. Now think about what Solomon is saying here. He has just built this beautiful, huge temple uh, overlaid with gold. It is such a magnificent temple. And Solomon, though he is impressed with the size of the temple and grateful for having had the privilege of building it, he realizes that there's really no place on earth or even in heaven that, that could contain the fullness of God. And he says, Lord, thank you that you let me build this temple. But will God really dwell on the earth? And if so, how and where? Well, God did fill that temple with his glory and the people recognized the glory of God there. And it was a wonderful experience for them for some years, although, of course, they never really uh, lived up to the requirements of the covenant, the old covenant, the covenant of law through Moses. They always broke the laws. God was always judging them. And before they had the permanent king, they had judges and so on. Now they've got a king, but they're still not obeying the Lord. They still are having problems. And God eventually then uh, brings disaster upon the people of the northern tribes and then of the southern tribes as well because they refused to really worship God as God wanted them to. They always were tempted with idolatry because they did not totally wipe out all the people who were the idolaters in the uh, land of Israel. So they were always influenced by idolatry to the point that God eventually said, okay, I've had enough. The northern tribe was carried off to Assyria. The southern tribes were invaded by Babylon and they were taken off to Babylonian captivity. And this, this by the way, we had, let me give you the 400 years again. You had the Israelites in Egypt for 400 years you have the Israelites in the wilderness for 400 years. You have the Israelites now in Jerusalem at this temple for 400 years until the time of the Babylonians that came along and they destroyed the temple. They carried off uh, the 
the people of Judah and Jerusalem, and it laid waste for 70 years until Cyrus, the king of Persia, who had taken over Babylon, gave the direction for them to come back to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall and rebuild the temple. Now, after the temple was rebuilt, they had another 400 years before John the Baptist came along. So there's a period over and over again that repeats itself of 400 years. But when that glory filled that temple, I'm sure everyone there that day and afterwards thought that that's, that's just the way it's going to be. This house is permanent. It's here to stay. God has manifested his presence here and everything is good. But it wasn't good because some years after that, Ezekiel, the prophet, he tells about it in chapter 11 of Ezekiel. He is watching as the glory of God, which we just read about in 1 Kings chapter 8, that filled the temple, the glory of God he saw leave the temple and go out to the eastern gate of Jerusalem, over to the Mount of Olives, and then ascend back up to the heavens. And there's no record in the Old Testament after that of the glory of God ever again filling the temple of God until we get to the New Testament. Now, that temple that we talked about that Solomon built was destroyed, and it was not ever rebuilt. Now, they built another one, but it did not have the splendor and beauty of the temple that Solomon had built. But I want you to turn with me now to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and we're going to see the next time that we see the glory of God in uh, what I want to talk to you about. You do see it in other places before this, but this is what I want to focus on here uh, for these few minutes tonight. John chapter 1, look with me now at verse 1 and also verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What John is saying to us is really remarkable. It is foundational to understand the nature of God and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes, this is the first chapter of the first verse of John reminds us of the first chapter of the first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. Who is the Word? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever this Word was, was with God, and the Word was God. So we see here that whoever this Word is has a face-to-face -face relationship with God the Father and... He was God, that is, He existed before creation ever existed. He is eternal with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. But this eternal God became flesh. That's what he writes about in verse 14. And the Word became flesh. So think of it like this. God is eternal and yet, Jesus, the Son of God, took on human flesh. He did not cease being God, but he added to his deity humanity. 
And the Word became flesh. There was a time when Jesus was not human. But there will never be a time when He is not both God and man. He is the eternal Son of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, look at that word dwelt. That is the word which means tabernacled. That is the New Testament word for the Old Testament word tabernacle. So when God said to his ancient people, the Israelites, in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 8, I want to be with my people, you see the fulfillment of that when Jesus shows up because he is tabernacling now among his people. He dwelt among his people for 33 years, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, preached and taught and prayed and did all the things that he did. He did that among his people. But just like in the Old Testament times with both the tabernacle as the people rejected God and the temple when they rejected God, now with Jesus among them, they are going to reject the living person of this tabernacle, the Lord Jesus Christ. So point number three is the living tabernacle was filled with the glory. So first, the tabernacle was filled with the glory. Second, the temple was filled with the glory. And third, now the living tabernacle. Those other buildings, that tent and that building, they were just ways for God to show up and be there. He filled them, but that, that temple was not God. He filled the tabernacle, but that tabernacle was not God. But when you come to John chapter 1 and the New Testament, what you see is that that tabernacle that dwelt among them is God. He is with them, and he is there in order to demonstrate and show them the glory of God. Look again at verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The only begotten of the Father means he is the only one that has been conceived and born of a virgin. Now, there, everybody who is saved is a child of God. But we're not a child of God in the same way Jesus is the Son of God. He is the only begotten Son of God, the only one who has uh, been born of a virgin as the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and what was within her, that child that was conceived within her, was the Holy Son of God. So Jesus knew who he was. He always knew who he was. There's some uh, crazy so-called theologians who say that Jesus had identity crises from time to time during his life, like he didn't know who he was, like God can forget who he is. I mean, you know, really, come on. Uh, but one of the uh, places I want you to look at here with me is John chapter 2 now, and look with me at verse 19, 20, and 21. Here is just after uh, Jesus performed his first miracle recorded in John when he turned the water into wine, and he is engaging uh, some uh, Jews at the Passover that happened just after that. Look at uh, verse 19 of chapter 2. Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, 
it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. You see, the Jewish leaders in that day, they were trying to figure out who Jesus was. They were already biased against him for several reasons. But when he is talking in this way to them, they just don't get it. They said, they said to him, first of all, what sign will you give us that you will prove to us that you are the Messiah, the Son of God? He said, okay, I'll give you a sign. Destroy this temple, and in three days, I'll raise it up. And they said, are you nuts? It took us 46 years to build this temple. They were talking about Herod's temple that was built on the same site that Solomon's temple had, built, had been built on. Uh, Herod, uh, Ezekiel, I mean, uh, Zerubbabel and some others had built, Herod built on that. And it was, it was a magnificent building, not anything like Solomon's original temple, but it was beautiful and impressive. And it took them 46 years to build this temple. And they said to Jesus, how are you going to do that? It took us that long to build it. You say you're going to raise it up in three days. No, that's not what he meant. He wasn't talking about the, that physical temple. He was talking about his physical body. And he said, you destroy this temple, which they attempted to do, which they did. They put him to death. But he rose three days later. And John explains it here. He says he was speaking about the temple of his body. Jesus knew that he is the temple of God and the glory of God returned to the temple the day that Jesus was taken by Mary and Joseph to the temple when Anna and Simeon both saw him, when, the, when, his, when his mother and uh, Joseph took him to that temple in order to present him to the Lord with those two turtle doves as an offering to buy him back from God according to the Old Testament law. And uh, both Simeon and Anna just rejoiced and said, we've been waiting on this day forever, it seems like, and now he has finally come. The glory of God did return to the temple in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know what happened to Jesus? He lived his life. He accomplished everything he came to this earth to accomplish. But then he was arrested. He was put on trial. He was condemned to death by crucifixion. He was crucified on a cross. He was buried in a tomb. They destroyed that temple. But three days later, he raised it again. He came out of that tomb and he is alive now. So what happened after Jesus rose from the dead? He appeared to several people. His disciples, uh, Mary Magdalene first, and his disciples and uh, 500 people at one time, Simon Peter by himself one time, and other uh, appearances that he had after he rose from the dead for a period of 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead on that first Easter, he's making these appearances. And then he tells his disciples, while, when he is on the Mount of Olives, just east of Jerusalem, ready to ascend to the Father, he tells them, you go back to Jerusalem and wait on the promise of the Father. And they say, oh, great. Is that when you're going to bring in your whole kingdom? And he said, 
you guys still don't get it, do you? <laughs> he said, uh, he said, it's not for you to know all of that stuff. Don't obsess over the times and the dates and all that. Here's what you do. You'll be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you take that gospel message in Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and to the remotest parts of the earth. So what happened? Jesus ascended back to the Father on that day. They go back to Jerusalem. They're in a place called the upper room. They are together, the 120 of those disciples of Jesus. They are praying, they're fasting, they're seeking the Lord for 10 days, and then the day of Pentecost fully comes. And you know what happens on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in the bodies of those disciples. And so now what you have is the church empowered to take the gospel message that they had heard, that they had received, and they are to take it, first of all, to Jerusalem, which they did beginning on that first day, that Pentecost day, when Peter stood up and preached and 3,000 people got saved. And then they continued to do that until they got there's such persecution they had to uh, go away from Jerusalem and the gospel spread to Samaria and on to the remotest parts of the earth. But what really happened on that day, on that day of Pentecost, was when the Holy Spirit came upon the church permanently. And so get what has happened here as I've walked you through from Exodus chapter 40 to 1 Kings chapter uh, 10, or 8 rather, uh, to John chapter 1, and now as we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, I want you to look with me there, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we'll just skip over the other verses that I've referenced there, because I want to spend the rest of our time talking about this. You had the temple filled with the glory of God. First of all, you had the tabernacle filled you have the temple filled. Then you have the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the living tabernacle, filled with the glory of God. But where's the glory of God now? It is still in the church. It is still in those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ. So his, the, the, let me get the point of my outline here. I've got it right here just a minute. At least I thought I did. Hang on. Here we go. The promised temple is filled with the glory. So, so we had the promise that we would be filled with his glory. And so I want you to turn with me now to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want you to look at what Paul is writing about here. He is comparing the glory under the old covenant with Moses and the glory under the new covenant with Jesus. This is so critical that you get this. Please um, really pay attention here if you would. Verse 7, But if the ministry of death, and he's speaking about the old covenant, which brought death to the people because they couldn't keep the law, if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, and it was, it was accompanied by the glory of God, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, 
the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, and that's the old covenant, it was passing away. For if that was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we have we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the whole Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. And we'll stop there and explain this a minute, then we'll go back to verse 15. You see what he's saying here. He's saying that the old covenant was glorious. It was accompanied by glory, but it was a glory that was temporary. It was a fading glory. That's why Moses, after he would come out from being with the Lord in the tabernacle and his face was shining with the glory of God, he would speak to the people. They would hear what he had to say, but then he would put that veil back over his face because the shine was fading, the glory was fading, which was a picture of the temporary nature of the old covenant. God never intended for that old covenant to be permanent. That's why you see the fading glory on the face of Moses. But God does intend for the new covenant to be permanent. That's, and that's why he says, if the ministry of death, that is the old covenant, came with glory, then that old covenant that brought death, think about this new covenant that brings life. How much more glory will be associated with this new covenant? So with that in mind, let's look at verse 15. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. Sadly, that's still the case in our day. Many Jewish people have rejected Jesus as their Messiah. That veil is still over their eyes. So how is the veil removed? He tells us, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. If anyone, Jew or Gentile, whoever they may be, will turn to the Lord, then that veil is taken away. But he's speaking specifically here about the Jew. Verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So when you get Jesus, you get salvation, you get life, you get freedom. Verse 18, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, verse 18 is such a wonderful verse. He says here, we all, that is those of us who know the Lord, with unveiled face, just like Moses unveiled his face when he went in to visit with God, we also live with unveiled faces. We don't need to hide the glory of God. We behold as in a mirror the glory of God. Now, the Word of God is called a mirror. Therefore, when we look into the Word of God, we see reflected in this Word 
the glory of God. And as we see ourselves saved, but not perfect yet, we will see and it will be pointed out to us by the conviction of the Holy Spirit that there is sin that needs to be confessed and repented of and there is fellowship that needs to be restored. And Paul says, we with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed. You as a believer in Jesus are being transformed. Now, you were transformed the day you got saved. That is, God, by the Spirit of God, came into your life and changed you, gave you a new heart and a new life. But that transformation is continuing on and will continue until we see Jesus. You see the word transformed there? That's a word that means changed. We're continually being changed. It's the same word that is used in the Gospels to describe the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was transfigured before them and Elijah and Moses uh, appeared there to Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus' glory was always inside him and every once in a while, he would really manifest it publicly and this was a wonderful, great time when he did. He was totally transformed before them and, and you and I, as we read that and look at that, and then as we also understand what Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 means, that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, which is the same word, Matthew chapter 17, Romans chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It is the same word. You, how are we changed? How are we transformed? How do we become more like Jesus? We look in the mirror of the Word of God. By His help, we make changes that are needing to be made, and we are transformed, and it does not get, it does not fade. It gets more glorious. Notice what He says at the end. We are transformed into the same image, that is, the glory of God, from glory to to glory. That is, it increases and improves as time goes on, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The glory, the glory that filled the tabernacle, the glory that filled the temple, the glory that filled the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory that filled the church on the day of Pentecost is the glory that fills the body of every believer. What do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You and I are the image bearers of God. We are the redeemed people of God, and we ought to live like it and love people and be what God wants us to be. We'll never do it perfectly. That's why... We continue to need to be transformed. But that is the promise of God way back in the book of Exodus and fulfilled all the way through even now tonight as we continue to enjoy his presence and love the Lord Jesus Christ.